typically at this time of year, we would go back to the Old Testament and we've been dealing with the book of Hosea. Um, but, but I'll be honest with you, I just, um, I just couldn't bring myself to go back to the section of Hosea that we were in because it was rough and it was only going to get rougher for like six more chapters. And I, for one, needed a break. Um, and, and so being the new year, I decided that, that this week and, and probably moving forward, we're going to look for a little bit at 2 Corinthians. And, and being the new year and, and everybody being excited about new things, we're going to look specifically this morning at 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you grew up in church and, and went to Sunday school and things like that, this is probably a verse that at some point you were told to memorize. And it's a good one because it reminds us so much about who we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Most gracious Father, we ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of your word. Illumine our hearts and minds by your Spirit, that I may preach in the power of your Spirit, and that we all may hear with his help. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as I kind of joked about with the kids, this is the time of year that, that we do things like, like I've done in the last couple of weeks. We, we join the gym. We might start counseling to try to get our head right again. We might start eating right trying to make better, you know, health decisions. We may say, I'm, I'm going to go to bed on time and I'm going to, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to take care of myself. We'll, we'll probably even like tweet about it or, or post pictures on Instagram or, or things like that to, to kind of build in, we'll call it accountability instead of self-righteousness. We'll, we'll, we'll stop there. We want to build that in so, so that, that people know and, and, and can, can hold us accountable for, for being better. And, and, and of course, we see all the, the new year, new me, and, and all of those kinds of statements come out at this time of year. And, and here's the thing. There's nothing, and I want to be clear about this, there, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of that. Getting in shape is great. Eating healthier food is fantastic. Like get, getting help from, from a counselor if you need it. Wonderful. Do those things. Do all of that. Go to bed on time. Be nicer to your neighbors. Welcome people into your... Do all of those things that we say, this is the year. Read your Bible every day. What a glorious thing to do. All of those are fantastic. Rarely, rarely do we come up with, with some kind of resolution at this time of year that, that's just completely self-destructive and problematic. You know, we, we don't get to this time of year and go, you know what, this year, I'm going to start shooting heroin. That's my resolution for this year. I just want all the pain to stop, and that seems like the way. No, we come up with good stuff exercise, diet, like all of that. But here's where we run into a problem. We think that all of those things can accomplish something in us that they can't. Because see, really, when, when we come up with these resolutions, all we're doing is coming up with a new law. 
We're coming up with, with some rule that we say, if I were to do this, if I were to follow Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life, if, if I were to, to, to do this or do that or go to the gym, like, it would change who I am. I would be a better husband. I would be a better wife. I would be more in shape. I would have more energy. I would be kinder to my neighbors. What we're hoping for from these things that we do is a fundamental change in who we are. But here's the problem. The Bible tells us that the law of God itself can't do that. That the law can't deliver on what it requires of us. Think about that. If the law of God itself can't change our hearts, then do we think that a lesser law that we come up with somehow has more power than the very law of God? Sometimes we act like it does. And and here's the problem. We're missing two things. One, we're missing the weakness of the laws that we come up with. But we're also missing the reality of the work of Christ. We're also missing the reality of the work of Christ. Because here's the thing. There is a way that we can be fundamentally changed from the inside out. There is a way that it can be new year, new me. In fact, if we are in Christ, that's already our reality. That's already our reality. That's what Paul is telling us in, in these, with this well-known verse in, in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We don't need resolutions to make that true for us. It's already declared about us. It is already true for us. But sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget, and and, and this isn't how we think about ourselves. And so I want us to spend some time this New Year's Day morning thinking about the reality that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Not you will be a new creation, Not there's hope that this might work out and you end up as a new creation. You are presently a new creation in Christ. Charles Hodge, the the great theologian of, of yesteryear, says to be in Christ is the common scriptural phrase to express the saving connection or union between Jesus and his people. They are in him by covenant as all men were in Adam. They are in him as members of his body through the indwelling of his spirit. And they are in him by faith, which lays hold of and appropriates Jesus as the life and portion of the soul. That's what Paul's talking about when he uses this this phrase that's very common. And we're going to look at a lot of the ways that he uses it, this phrase in Christ. He's talking about us being united to Jesus as one. That's where we are. If we're in Christ, we are united to him. Now, the, the biblical metaphor, the, the, the major biblical metaphor that we have for this picture of union with Christ is marriage. The two become one 
flesh. And, and in fact, the, the oneness of flesh, the, the oneness of husband and wife is, is to such a degree that the Bible tells us that, that even we, we don't even consider our bodies as exclusively our own when we're in marriage. My body, my, who I am, everything about me belongs to Annie and her to me. The, the oneness of, of marriage is, is, is oneness to a degree that, that the Bible tells us to care for our spouse. And it says this especially to husbands. To care for your spouse is to care for yourself. That's the, the oneness that exists in marriage. And, and, and this is the metaphor that Paul gives us for Christ in the church. He says, as, as we looked at just a few months back in Ephesians, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Here's the summary of this. To be in Christ is to be so united to Christ that you're nourished and cherished by Christ himself as a member of his body. And Paul's saying... If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Now, he uses this, this prepositional phrase, in Christ. He uses it hundreds of times in his letters. And I want to read through several of these. We're, we're going to read through quickly 16 different ways that he talks about us being in Christ. And, and some of these are going to, going to kind of speak to the, the reality of it. Some are going to speak to the result of it. But I want us to hear this. Romans 6, he says we're to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So when we, when we consider those two things, part of what it is to be in Christ is to be out from under the reign of sin. To be out from under the condemnation of sin. To be out from under sin as the controlling principle in our life. 1 Corinthians, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on in, in a couple of verses, the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we're, we're called and made holy because in Christ, we have the sanctifying grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15, for as an Adam all die, our union with Adam leads to death. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. To be united with Christ is to have life. 2 Corinthians 3, but their minds were hard for to this day when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ, same phrase there, different word in English, only in Christ is it taken away. To be united with Christ means we get to actually see the glory of God. We come to his word and have understanding. We come to his word and we hear it as words of life, not as something we have to, to veil ourselves from because it condemns us. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. In Christ, 
we're reconciled to God. The relationship between us and God, if we are in Christ, is no longer one of tension, no longer one of judgment, no longer one of condemnation, but one of reconciliation. One where where the relationship has been made right. Galatians 3, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In Christ, we get for ourselves what was promised to Abraham so long ago because Jesus is the one who fulfilled it. Galatians 3.26, in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. To be a son of God in, in, in ancient times, to be a son was to be an heir. Paul is not being sexist here and, and leaving women out. He's actually, actually making an incredibly bold statement saying, you are all men and women. And he'll go on at the end of Galatians 3, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, male and female. You're all in Christ. You're all. What he's telling us is all of these people that would normally be considered on the outside, unable to inherit, what he's saying is you're all heirs in Christ. All of you. All of you are sons of God. He's your father. Galatians 3.28 that I just referred to, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. No longer in Christ are, are we looked at as the world looks at us and divides us up by all the different social markers that we can come up with. None of those speak in any way to our standing. That the ground, as they say, is level at the foot of the cross. And it's only in Christ that we stand, but we most certainly do stand in him. Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Notice that this is all like past tense. He has blessed us now, not he will in the future. Right now in Christ, we have these spiritual blessings. Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Same phrase in Greek, different English. We're made alive in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ephesians 2.13, now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near. We're, We're no longer outsiders. We're included. We're part of the people of God. Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We've been given a new brain, a new way to think, a new mind for understanding ourselves and the world in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We're protected with the very peace of God in Christ. Finally, Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12. In him, that is Christ, in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you you were also raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. We put all of this together and we can say this, to be in Christ is to be united to him 
and so to possess all that he has purchased for us by his life, death, and resurrection. All of it presently is yours in Christ. And so Paul sums this up with the next phrase in this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation presently. And and it's interesting in in the Greek, it's a verbless cause. It's just if in Christ, new creation. He, He wants you to be as bold and as clear as possible. If you are in Christ, the only option is that you are a new creation. That is our reality. We, we can do all the things that we always do at this time of year to, to, to affect life on this earth, and that's fine. But we must remember this most basic theological truth about ourselves. If we're in Christ, if we've been united to him by grace through faith, by the Spirit's working in us, then we are presently, a new creation right now. Now, some of you may be going, that does not feel particularly real. And sometimes it doesn't, which is why I wanted to talk about it this morning, which is why at this juncture in in time where we decide that we want it to feel real, that's why I wanted to remind you that it is, and it's not based on any of the resolutions that you're going to fail by January 10th. It's based on what Jesus has done. In him, you are a new creation. Several years ago, uh, I had these big dreams about having this theological book club for our youth um, that they soundly rebelled against. Um, One of the books that they were going to read, and and I did read this one, was this old, old book by a guy named St. Athanasius called On the Incarnation. It's fantastic. And this is what he says in, in the early, early pages. We will begin then with the creation of the world and with God its maker. For the first fact that you must grasp is this. The renewal of creation has been wrought by the self-same word who made it in the beginning. You see why I wanted him to read this stuff. When we think about being a new creation, we've got to take our eyes off of ourselves as the one who produces this in us, this newness, because it's not us. We're utterly incapable. And fix our eyes back on God who created Everything out of nothing. He's the one who recreates us in his own image. That's what Jesus does in us. He recreates this new man in us after the image of God. What Athanasius wants to understand is if this God who created everything we see out of absolutely nothing, if he is able to do that, And it's the same God at work in us to renew us. Surely he is able. See, our new creation is our being created new again. Our being redeemed. Our being remade. Our being recreated doesn't depend on you and I doing something to make things new. 
There, there are several people in our congregation and even here at our own church building that, that are redoing bathrooms or, or parts of their house at this season in life. And it's a lot of work. And it's a lot of frustrating work. And it's a lot of work that when you get into it, you find other problems that now you also have to fix. And it's a lot of work that at times you look at and you go, I'm not capable of this. And you pick the phone up and you call somebody else to do it. Or you try to do it and then you make the problem worse and create a whole new set of issues that you have to deal with. That's how self-improvement works when it's us that are trying to do it. It creates new problems. It doesn't go as planned. It never turns out quite like we wanted it to. It might get roughly done. But there also might be a cabinet that remains unpainted for the next 10 years. What Paul is wanting us to see here is that that's not how we become a new creation. It's the work of Christ that is in us. And this union, this in Christness, is transforming. It imparts new life. It affects new creation, as Charles Hodge tells us. And so I want us to look at some specific things about what he's saying when he tells us and explains this new creation idea by saying the old has passed away and the new has come. Because that's what he's doing. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. What does that mean? It means that the old has passed away and the new has come. Now, the first thing that I want to say is a grammatical point, so, so bear with my, my nerdiness for just a minute. But I've heard people, and I feel sure I've probably said this ridiculous thing, that, that really this verse should be translated, the old is passing away and the new is coming. Bull! No! I said that when I didn't know Greek at all. And anyone who tells you that's how this should be translated is tipping their hat to you that they also don't know Greek. Because that's a horrible translation of this passage. That's why none of the translations translate it that way. None of them. They're, they're both past tense verbs. The first one in heirs, I get it. You don't know what that means. You're just going to have to trust me. It's something that happened in the past. The old has passed away. That's already happened. The second one is even stronger. It's a perfect tense verb. It's something that was completed in the past and has a in the present. The new has come. That's what it means to be a new creation. It's not something that is ongoing in you. Are we being renewed? Yes. Are we being sanctified to the new? Yes. But we are presently new creations. That's what Paul is wanting us to understand about ourselves. That's how he's wanting us to process ourselves. And as we go through 2 Corinthians, we're going to see when we look at this verse in context that this is the very heart of of 2 Corinthians. Because it's what he's writing them to in, in what is his kind of most personal, most existential letter where he just wrestles with, with what it means for him to be an apostle, what it means to be in Christ. What he's wanting the, the Corinthians to understand is that the way you're to think about yourself and the way you're to think about everybody else is as if they are new. That's the, the kind of theological heart of this letter. He's teaching these Corinthians who, who, who were in a church that was full of division and full of strife and full of bickering. He's trying to get them to understand. No, no, the problem is y'all aren't understanding yourselves in light of the gospel. You're a new creation. Don't consider yourself that way anymore. These old ways have already passed. 
and the new has already come. Now, theologically, what does this mean? First of all, it means that we're no longer ruled by law. Praise God. We're no longer ruled by law. And so we don't need to try to rule each other by law. Praise God for that also. In the Westminster Confession, it talks about mankind in different states. With with Adam, before the fall, there was the state of innocency. They they lived, they were innocent, but but it it was also a state where they were ruled by law. Because if he ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what happened? He died. And that is, in fact, what happened. And and it says because of that, the way it describes the fall, it talks about now all of mankind is in a state of sin and misery. Still a state ruled by law. Still a state ruled by law. If we continue in our sin, what we get is the misery of the wrath of God. But then it continues, and it says, in his, in his grace, he sent a redeemer, he sent a mediator who is Jesus Christ, and by faith, we're brought in and we're transferred. It says translated, for, for you geometry nerds, you get what that means. We're translated from a state of sin and misery into a state of grace. That is part of what it means to be a new creation. For the old to have passed away and the new to have come. We're no longer ruled by law. We're ruled by grace. Here's the glorious truth of that. We can mess up. We can sin. And because we're not ruled by law, we don't get the condemnation of the law. Doesn't mean you should sin. Just to be clear, I can see some of your wheels turning. But it does mean, as John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, I write these things to you, dear children, so that you might not sin. But if any of you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. That's what it is to live in a state of grace. And that's where we live. Dear Christian, you are no longer ruled by law. That's the first thing it means to be a new creation, for the old to have passed away and the new to have come. There's there's a new regime in your life, and it's Jesus Christ and His grace. That's how we live. Second, because we are no longer ruled by law, we're also no longer ruled by law. By sin. Remember what, what Paul said in, in Romans 6.11 when we were reading all of the in Christ verses earlier. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, now sometimes in the Reformed world with all of our Puritan heritage loving to, to kind of get a little bit of good navel gazing going on and, and really find all the deep dark sin and, and confess it. Sometimes we forget this truth. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. And part of what that means is you're not actually ruled by sin anymore. I'm not saying you don't sin anymore. I'm saying you're not ruled by it. Paul is not being hyperbolic. He's not being ironic. When he says 
This is how you're to think about yourself. This is how you're to consider your existence if you are in Christ. You're dead to sin and you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. The law doesn't rule us anymore. Sin doesn't rule us anymore. That's the beautiful reality of life in Christ. See, sometimes submitting to sin looks like just going out and doing whatever you jolly well please to satisfy your flesh. Sometimes that's what submitting to sin looks like and considering yourself alive to sin. It's just going out and just doing it all. But sometimes in our crafty little hearts, what what forgetting to consider ourselves dead to sin looks like is only considering that we are sinners and not that we're redeemed, not that we're forgiven, not that we're alive to God in Christ, not that we've been made new. Sometimes, and I'm horribly guilty of this, sometimes we live as if we're still the valley of dry bones that has a promise that flesh and sinew and breath will come, but it hasn't yet. We forget that if we're in Christ, that's not our reality anymore. The word has been spoken over us and it has had its intended effect and the sinners have come and the bones have joined together and the flesh has covered us and our lungs have been filled with the breath of life that is the Spirit of God. That's what rules you now. Not your sin, but life in God. Freedom from that. We're no longer ruled by law. We're no longer ruled by sin. What it also means to be a new creation is we're no longer ruled by the flesh. Now, I understand some of y'all are rattling through Romans 7 as quick as you can. I want to do what I can't do, and I can't do what I don't want to do, and and all those things. Some of you are are pointing to Galatians 5. There's a a war between the flesh and the spirit, and and it's ongoing. Yes, I get that. I understand that. But, But the principle of war between flesh and spirit, it can't be denied, first of all, but it also must not be overplayed as if the Spirit is not already the victor and as if we can't already walk in victory now. Remember what Paul says in Galatians 5. Walk in the Spirit so that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How can he say that? Because we aren't ruled by our flesh. It's still kicking. It's like a snake with its head cut off that'll still thrash about and still cause all kinds of fear in us. But we're not ruled by our flesh anymore. We're ruled by the Spirit of Christ. Colin Cruz says to be in Christ is to be participating already in the new creation. It is true that from time uh, that, that for the time being, the old still persists and, and the new has not yet fully come. I don't like how he puts that in light of this verse, but whatever, he's smarter than I am. However, in the present passage, it is the newness of life in Christ now which is being stressed. Not the tension involved in participating in the new creation while we still are living as part of the old. See, that's the issue. 
We're new creatures in Christ. We're living in a world that groans for the day of redemption. There's the tension. Yes, our our flesh is, is still at war within us. But we're new creatures in Christ. We have the Spirit of God in us. We've been made new by the Spirit. And the struggle of the Christian life, the the, the pain of the Christian life in part, is seeking to walk by the Spirit and be ruled by the Spirit in a world that demands we be ruled by our flesh, that demands we be ruled by our sin, and that demands we be ruled by the law. And Paul is saying, you can do it because you've been united to Christ, because you're nourished and cherished by him as part of his body, because he's given you his spirit and filled you with his spirit and made you alive by his spirit and enabled you and strengthened you by his spirit so that I can say to you with a straight face, consider yourself dead to sin. You don't have to do that thing. You don't. You probably will. But you don't have to. You're new. You're a new creation. Seyfried, another commentator, says the recreated human being has been granted the capacity in Christ to see beyond the visible things of this life to those things that are invisible and eternal. Those who see the world in the new way do not fail. No matter what comes to them, and in the midst of the most contrary circumstances, they speak forth faith and hope by the Spirit who possesses them. That's how much of a new creation we are. That's how much the old has passed away and the new has come. That's what Paul is wanting us to understand. This is how he's wanting us to think about ourselves. Not that we have no capacity for sinning. He's he's, he's not a fool. But that we're not ruled by that which is old anymore. Not that the law doesn't matter. But that we're not ruled by the law anymore. Not that our flesh isn't kicking and screaming on its way out. But that we're not ruled by the flesh anymore. To be a new creation... It's to be ruled by Christ, to be ruled by grace, to be ruled by his spirit, to be enabled and strengthened and cherished and nourished by Jesus who hung and died and rose again. And you, dear Christian, possess the very same spirit that rose him from the grave in you. And you, dear Christian, are looking to the very same God who created everything out of nothing for your own recreation, for your own newness. If anyone is in Christ, he is presently a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And so here's the question, if you'll let me get just a little bit psychological for just a second. Is this how you think about yourself? Is this the way you consider yourself this morning in Christ? New. 
if we're honest, at least for some of us, if not all of us, it feels a little bit wrong to consider ourselves that way. We know what we know our heart, we know our thoughts, we know what we've done. It feels a little bit wrong to say, no, 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 I'm new in Christ. I've been made new. I've been redeemed. I've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Nothing, nothing can condemn me. It feels honestly, when we first start thinking in those terms, a little bit uncomfortable. If we're honest, it feels a lot more comfortable at times to kind of hoist that pack of our sin on our back and say, I'm going to carry this a little bit further because I don't feel that I felt the weight of it enough just yet. I don't feel like it's right for me to just put off this burden and walk away from it. Growing up, my family went backpacking a lot. And when I was young, I was unable to carry much more than the backpack itself. But my parents would always start me out with with some clothes or some food or something in my backpack. But inevitably, at some point in the trip, I would just be done. And I would take the entire backpack off and give it to my dad, and he would carry it. And I was like a new creation. All of a sudden, I had energy. I could run up and down the trail. And it probably drove my parents crazy, because they're like, yeah, you can do this, because we're carrying all the weight for you. And it never felt wrong to me as a kid, because I knew that's what dads do. But somehow, as an adult Christian, I struggle with that reality. Even though the Bible explicitly says to cast my burdens on him because he cares for me. Even though the Bible specifically says to put off the stuff that entangles me and weighs. Like it specifically says to do this. But, but I'm such a legalist. And you are too. Where we're such legalists that we're like, no, no, no. I, I'm going to carry this pack a little bit longer. No. You're new. You don't have to. You don't have to carry the weight and guilt of your sin another step. You're new. The old has passed away. Give it all to Jesus and walk away from it. Is that how you think about yourself with that freedom in Christ? Did you sing earlier, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in, I love all the like little extra phrasing. My sin, not in part, but in whole, just so that we're clear, has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. You are a new creation. Second question of application Is this how you consider the other people sitting in the pews with you? Is this how you consider other Christians whose lives may not be together as yours or who may struggle with with more public struggles or who may bear on their marks more scars from their past struggles? Is this how you consider them? new creations in Christ Jesus? Or do you still ask them to carry their pack a little bit longer? 
See, the glory of the gospel is two-way street. If we get to put off our pack, so does everybody else. If, if I get to look at you and say, no, 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 you don't get to expect me to carry this crap for another step, then guess what I don't get to do to you? Expect you to carry yours either. And that transforms, and this is what Paul is wanting the Corinthians to understand in this letter. That transforms utterly and completely how we deal with each other. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the grace and the joy of being new in Christ. And we pray that you would help us to live in light of this glorious reality. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology. Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of Scripture and theology.